Welcome to Retirement Revealed. I'm your host, Jeremy Kyle, and we're here to turn your retirement savings into retirement income. And today we're talking with Jeff Levine about the Secure Act 2.0. Jeff is one of the most knowledgeable people about financial planning in general, and maybe just one of the few people who have actually read Secure Act 1 and 2. And yes, I'm calling out all the politicians who vote for a bill without reading a bill. This is Retirement Revealed, where Jeremy Kyle and his guests guide you towards making smarter retirement, investment, and tax planning decisions. So Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to be here. I've been across your work for many years. I'm so happy I got to uh, connect with you a few months back and appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Well, I was uh, looking up a few of your profiles and things like that. It seems like you have a lot of nicknames like the Buckinghammer, the lead financial planning nerd. Just just tell us what those are about. Yeah, so the lead financial planning nerd, I, I guess you could say I split my life, if you will, into to two broad uh, areas. One is working with a, a wealth management firm, helping individuals with their own financial planning needs. And the other is really trying to continue to elevate education for our industry, not just the uh, the actual information that we share, but also trying to keep it as entertaining as possible. I think one of the primary reasons that people don't learn a lot of times is they're just not interested because it's the presentation is boring, right? It sounds a little bit rough to say, but I think it's the truth. And and so the lead financial planning nerd is the outward industry education arm that I work with Michael Kitsis on. And uh, he's built an incredible platform there at kitsis.com, K-I-T-C-E-S.com, primarily geared towards other financial professionals, financial advisors, insurance representatives, uh, individuals who practice tax planning, all those sorts of things. And uh, basically oversee, I wouldn't say oversee, but uh, lead our, our, our team of financial planning nerds over there in terms of analysis and diving deep into various topics. Then the Buckinghammer is just really a, a reference to Buckingham Wealth Partners, which is the registered investment advisory firm, which I work with on a regular basis that is more consumer focused. And uh, it just, it kind of started as a joke almost three years ago now when I, I joined the team there and just kind of stuck and took off. And so I just leaned into it and said, all right, well, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So I guess there's no bucking Mr. Buckingham or Mrs. Buckingham that you stole the thunder from. Hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Michael Kitsis and I listen to his podcast all the time. I think one of his favorite questions is what do you actually do as a financial advisor? So I'm going to ask you with all these titles, all these roles, what do you actually do? <laughs> I think it starts with just diving deep into as many areas as I possibly can. So I spend an inordinate amount of time reading and and parsing through legislation, IRS updates, updates from other regulatory bodies, so different administration, uh, you know, different agencies and so forth, really starting directly with the source. And then of course, there are others who specialize in various areas. So I kind of have a a cultivated list of people and groups that I follow who are directly tied in right right to the source information. That's really the the critical element here, right? Is is 
not being one step removed, but going as close as I possibly can. And then disseminating that to as many people as possible in a way that they can hopefully understand. So again, if it's on the advisor side, we probably go a little bit deeper. Oftentimes when I'm talking with consumers, you have to keep it a little bit higher level because it's voluminous there. I mean, the, you mentioned the Secure Act 2.0. There's a hundred changes, a hundred changes in that bill. How can anybody possibly keep track of that information? Yeah. And uh, beyond the 100 pages, I was looking at your summary. Your summary is 12,000 words. That's your summary. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and the crazy thing is I had to figure out what I was going to leave out. You know, we had a published date, which was not too far after the initial law was passed. The law was also passed two days before holidays with Christmas and New Year's all in there. So it was very tight turnaround. And the 12,000 words wasn't like, oh boy, I've got to make sure I fill this page. It was, what can I possibly leave out and still make sure I turn this in by the time I need to make sure this gets turned in and published? Yeah, it's amazing. I appreciate it. I read your 12,000 word summary. I didn't read the act itself. So I trust people like you to to do the summary. And I think what we're highlighting a bit is just how, I guess, really what the value of a financial advisor comes down to. Like really, it's just knowing a lot about finances, but more importantly, sharing that wisdom with clients in a way that they understand and actually empowers them to make great financial decisions. That's That seems to be like the the summary of what a financial advisor is. I heard someone once call it a wisdom merchant. Like your your job is not just uh, your wisdom, but imparting that to others. So let's move to Secure Act 2.0. Let's impart your wisdom <laughs> to others on there. So why was there even a Secure Act 2.0? Well, so we had Secure Act 1.0, the original, the OG version, as I sometimes refer to it, in 2019. And there were a lot of things that were changed there, notably the change in the rules for post-death distributions. That was the big one, the quote-unquote death of the stretch. But going here into uh, 2023, there was still a desire to see more done to preserve individuals' ability to save, not just preserve, but enhance individuals' ability to save for retirement. You know, since the mid-70s, there's been a, a decline in corporate pension plans and other plans where an individual wasn't responsible for making sure they had enough of their own assets to fund their own retirement, right? Years ago, if we go back, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, many more people, you know, retirement was easier because you just went to the mailbox and you you cashed a check once a month and that was it. You know, you were done. You didn't have to worry about what your investment plan looked like. You didn't have to worry about tax planning and when to take income and when not to take income and to do Roth conversions and not to do Roth conversions. It was just easy. You cashed a check. More and more of that has fallen on the consumer side of the equation. And because of that, we've seen a decline in retirement preparedness in this country. And I think there's a desire to try and reverse that trend on the part of our our politicians but you can only do so much when you push that off onto individuals and so this is this is a largely an effort to help mitigate some of those issues but i think there's still going to be a long way to go yeah when there's 100 plus changes just even like where do you begin although before we begin with any of the changes uh, you pointed out on a recent webinar some things didn't change what did not change with secure act 2.0 
Yeah. So the big ones that people were asking about, like, hey, the backdoor Roth IRA move, the ability for high earners to put money into a traditional IRA and then move it over to a Roth IRA, that still is here. There was some talk initially under the, the Biden administration a few years ago to potentially remove that. It was part of the original draft Build Back Better plan, uh, but it was ultimately removed. There was some concern on the part of some who utilize it that it would be included in this bill. It was not. Uh, there was also no limitations on Roth conversions, no new limits there, uh, no mandatory required minimum distributions for those with very high IRA balances. Other things that weren't included, there were no changes to uh, the rules for qualified small business stock or additional. You know what I would say? The biggest thing that it didn't include, it did not include any simplification, none whatsoever, <laughs> right? Like, that would have been nice. This is not this is not a bill that says, hey, we've tried to make this easier for you. This is just adding complexity on top of complexity. And to your point of why an individual would need a financial advisor, you know, a real financial advisor is going to spend the time to learn these things. Now, they may not read every page of the law, but, you know, like you, they're going to find their sources that they, they trust. They're going to dive in. They're going to read and make sure they're aware of their updates, because I bet you most people listening to this today don't know those hundred changes. And it doesn't matter until it matters, right? Until it actually impacts you. But how do you know that something isn't there? That's why someone, you know, people need to reach out and to, to consider working with someone like you who's going to spend the time and dive deep into those rules. Well, with a hundred plus changes, you've got to realize which ones are most likely to affect you. And that's one reason why uh, for us in our office, we just focus exclusively on retirement financial planning. Like if you're retiring in the next couple of years, you just retired, you're already retired. Those are the people that we are focusing on because there's a lot of things that don't necessarily apply uh, within that. And so I've got a few rapid fire questions. Let's just right. uh, kind of answer some questions for these retirement focused individuals and we'll figure out maybe what we've missed. That's some highlights afterwards. See if there's anything else that really needs to get uh, highlighted while we're talking today. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So how do RMDs work now that Secure Act 2.0 passed? So the way RMDs work now is if you started taking required minimum distributions before 2023, so before this year, there is no change for you. Life is exactly as it was before Secure Act 2.0. Now, if you turn 72, basically for the next decade, starting this year, then you actually don't start your required minimum distributions until you are 73. Ultimately, those who were born in 1960 or later will see their required minimum distributions pushed back further to age 75. So it's kind of a, a multi-year uh, phasing in of the new changes. Again, some people, some individuals who are further on in retirement actually started at 70 and a half years ago. Others started at 72. That's no longer the case beginning this year at 73. And ultimately down the road, we're going to push out until 75. So again, as I said, no simplification. Yeah, no simplification. And it seems like people we talk to and the news media says, oh, hooray, RMDs are later. There's a longer time frame before we're forced to do these required minimum distributions. So why is it usually better to actually start paying taxes on your traditional IRA and 401k accounts before you hit RMD age? 
So we have a progressive tax system, right? Which effectively means the more income you have, the higher the bracket you find yourselves in. And, and that means effectively you typically pay a higher percentage with more income. So individuals, once they retire, they oftentimes have years in which their income is fairly low in between their retirement age and when they start taking social security income and when they start having to take distributions because they are required to from their accounts. So those years are very low income years. And a lot of times people look and they say, oh, this was great. I had to pay almost no tax this year. I look at that as a financial professional and say, that's terrible. Like a, a low income year, if you have money sitting in a retirement account, low income years are a terrible thing to waste by taking some money out earlier, either to live on or to, to do a quote unquote Roth conversion where you put money from a taxable account into a tax-free account. That allows you to use those low rate years and pay a lower percentage relative to waiting down the road and lumping much more income into a smaller number of years where you're generally going to be taxed at a much higher rate. Yeah, it seems like people are excited when the government tells them what to do when it comes to require minimum distributions. <laughs> and the rest of their life, they don't like that excitement at all of anyone telling them what to do, especially the government. And we want to point out uh, RMD is required. Uh, you have choices. There's a lot of choices you can take before it's required. And the M is minimum. You could do more than the minimum. So many people uh, b believe that it's just kind of, that's what I have to do and that's all I can do. And D is distribution. And you would think distribution means like I get the money on there. And that's exactly what it means when you get to that required point. Like you've got to take that money out of the traditional account. Uh, but if you're past RMD age, you can put that money into another investment account. And if you're below required minimum distribution age, usually taking the money out and pushing it to a Roth IRA through that conversion you mentioned is a better way to go. All right. Yeah, so I mean, it's, a, it's allowing your money to grow tax-free forever is a, is a pretty sweet deal. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, what is a QCD and why do we care about age 70 and a half when the RMD age was actually lifted? So a QCD is a qualified charitable distribution. It is a special way for individuals who are 70 and a half or older to move money directly from their IRA to a charity. And the reason we care about age 70 and a half is despite the fact that RMD age is now higher for individuals, either 72, 73, or 75, depending upon when you were born, uh, the age 70 and a half marker is still there for a qualified charitable distribution. Now, some folks listening may say, well, why? what's the big deal? Why? What if I just write charity a check? The big deal if you just write charity a check, let's say from your bank account, is that one, that would be an itemized deduction for individuals if you qualify. But today, most people don't itemize. The standard deduction is very high. Back as part of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, the changes that were implemented back when President Trump uh, was president at that time in that administration, the Republicans passed a, a tax legislation that significantly increased the standard deduction. And if the freebie, if you will, is much larger, it means it takes much more in the way of a deduction to be able to uh, to exceed it, to be able or to, to see a benefit from itemizing. So most people don't benefit from that. And if you take money from your retirement account and then write a check, all you're doing in that case 
is adding more money to your tax bill with no charitable deduction benefit whatsoever. Now, even for those who do itemize today, for the roughly 10% of Americans who do itemize, it's still a quote unquote below the line deduction. Now, folks listening, they probably say, well, what does that mean to me? When we look at your tax return and we decide what things you're eligible for, right? Credits, exemptions, deductions, all things like that, or what things you're subject to, bad things like surtaxes, there are different types of income. So there's taxable income, there's adjusted gross income. In many situations, we look at something called modified adjusted gross income, which is really adjusted gross income that's further adjusted. Well, a charitable deduction doesn't help to reduce the type of income known as AGI, adjusted gross income, but that's the type of income nearly all of your credits, nearly all of your deductions are keyed towards. So if you make a qualified charitable distribution using this special thing you were just talking about, Jeremy, it allows you to keep that income off of your return altogether. And in many instances, helps you to have a lower tax liability. It's Jeremy Kyle here. And I know you're listening to the Retirement Reveal podcast because you want to learn more about making great retirement decisions. I've created a free video course for you to do just that. Head over to 5stepretirementplan.com and sign up to receive this video training right in your email inbox. We broke down our 5-step retirement plan into bite-sized videos so you can get started on the retirement, investment, and tax planning you need to create a consistent retirement income. Go to 5stepretirementplan.com. Use the number or spell it out. You'll get there either way. 5stepretirementplan.com. Thanks for listening. And now for the rest of the show. Yeah, I can't imagine really any scenario where not doing a QCD when you have the choice is harmful. Like doing the QCD, qualified charitable distributions, taking the money from the IRA directly to the charity instead of the IRA to you to the charity. I can't think of any time that that's a good idea. Can you? Not really. No, it, it, the QCD is certainly the, the should be certainly the default for most people once you reach seven and a half. So if you're listening to this and you're saying, hey, I'm seven and a half or I'm close to that and I have a desire to see uh, some of my dollars go to charity each year to support the causes that I believe in, the QCD is likely the best way for you to do that. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. Good. Well, there's a few new things that I uh, found. Some of the things we talked about are just a little bit of changes, but in Secure Act, 2.0, what happens to catch-up contributions when your income is too high? <laughs> so it's interesting. There's a provision. You know, we talk about things that Congress does and, and whatnot. And a lot of times people say, are they going to get rid of the Roth? And look, you never know for certain what Congress will do. But I don't really worry about them getting rid of the Roth. If anything, the Congress loves the Roth because it's something that raises revenue today and people actually like and in fact, Congress likes it so much that they are now going to force people who make too much in the way of wages to use Roth accounts for catch-up contributions beginning next year. So this doesn't apply this year in 2023, but beginning in 2024, individuals who make more than $145,000 of wages will not be able to make catch-up contributions. Those are the extra amounts you can put into a 401k or a 403B or even an IRA, 
after age 50, individuals won't be able to do that to their plan, their 401k, their 403b in a pre-tax manner beginning next year. It will have to go to the Roth side of the plan. Got it. And speaking of catch-up contributions, what's the deal with the new catch-up contribution for people age 60 to 63? This is one of those oddball scenarios. There is a new catch-up contribution limit, again, not this year, but beginning uh, next year, where we're going to see increased catch-up contribution limits for just those individuals who are 60, 61, 62, or 63. If you're 59 or you're 64, you can still make a regular catch-up, but not an increased catch-up. And the law is actually written a little bit funky. There's some confusion amongst the experts as to exactly what Congress's intent was here. But it appears that we're just going to take the regular amount for those years that someone would be able to put in and increase it by 50%. So this year, for instance, someone, if if it was in place this year, it's not, it's actually not for two more years, excuse me, we'd see a catch-up contribution limit of about $11,250 as opposed to $7,500. So it just allows more money to go in at those ages. All right. Well, something to be looking forward to, perhaps. We'll see if they clarify (laughs) it, right? Good. Well, we'll finish up here with our rapid-fire questions. Why is the reduction of the 50% penalty on missing an RMD probably a bad thing? Well, I always worry about what's going to happen afterwards. What are the the side effects? And right now, the the 50% penalty or what used to be a 50% penalty was a pretty egregious penalty, right? It was It was high. And because of that, I think the IRS, which has the ability to waive that penalty, was generally okay doing so if you gave them a decent reason, right? You just had to come up with a a good reason, not like the dog ate my RMD, but any good reason. Uh, and that would be fine. And I worry that if we reduce it to 25%, then the new law actually says, if you fix it quickly, we'll lower that penalty from 25% further to 10%. I worry that's okay now, right? That the IRS will be less willing to forgive the penalty because it's not so egregious. And in fact, part of this law, another section of this law says that the IRS is going to look to have the forgiveness of the penalty transferred to a new department within the IRS, a new group uh, called EPCRS, the Employee Plans Compliance Resolution System Group, which is just a long name for fixing plan mistakes you know, with your retirement account. I worry they may not be as lenient as the IRS has been historically. And I'd rather have a 50% penalty that no one pays or almost no one pays than a 25 or 10% penalty that everybody actually pays when they make that mistake. Yeah, I think that was a good one to finish up on. And I want to thank you for playing. I'm not sure if it's Family Feud or Jeopardy, (laughs) but I I think you win. I think our listeners win on that one. I'm going to look at my notes here, see if there's anything that perhaps we didn't go through to to highlight. But tell tell me uh, what are, what are one or two things that I didn't ask you about right there that really needs to be highlighted. Yeah, I mean, there's an increased desire on the part of Congress to make emergency situations less costly for individuals. So there are a whole sort a whole assortment of new ways to access money at young ages. Now, retirement accounts generally should be left for that purpose. That's why they're there, retirement accounts. However, 
Real life happens. Occasionally, people have emergencies or other situations that require them to access those funds earlier than previously anticipated. There are some new uh, ways to do that at young ages. And in fact, there's going to be some new types of accounts you may see. So beginning next year, employers will be able to offer as part of like a 401k or a 403b, uh, they'll be able to attach these new emergency savings accounts to those plans, which are designed to help individuals save for these, you know, emergency expenses that come up from time to time. Survey after survey shows, you know, the average American wouldn't be able to come up with $400 if they had an emergency, which is, you know, uh, a sad statement on where we are economically as, as a country. The desire on the part of Congress in creating this is to help mitigate that, to give people a place to to save dollars that they can use. It'd be a limited amount, but uh, you may start to see some of those things as well. So they're, again, just helping, trying to help those who may need to access money at younger ages as a key part of this bill. Yeah, one part of accessing money is just kind of getting money out. Tell us about this 529 college savings plan rollover option to Roth IRAs. What's that about? Yeah, so this has gotten a lot of headlines since the law was passed because it's kind of this new, interesting way of taking money that was intended initially, at least for education and repurposing it for retirement. And that's the reason a lot of times people don't put money away into a 529. They say, what if I need it for myself? Or what if my kid doesn't go to college? Uh, this helps to mitigate that by allowing money from a 529 plan to get moved into a Roth IRA. But it's not it's not as great as it sounds for a variety of reasons. One is you are limited to no more than the contribution limit each year. So, you know, like the $6,500 and that's an annual limit, but there's a second lifetime limit of $35,000. So no more than that can be moved for any beneficiary during their lifetime. And perhaps the biggest issues with this are the time requirements. You must have the 529 plan open for 15 years before you're able to do this. And even if you've had it open for 15 or more years, none of the money that you put in during the last five years can be moved this way. So there's all sorts of restrictions. I haven't even covered them all here, uh, but there's lots of gotchas and catches and, and so forth. So look, it's a nice new option and it'll certainly be used by some individuals, but I don't think it's this amazing provision that's going to be used by everyone all the time, uh, as some people have started to speculate. Yeah. Just, uh, Linz, like you said, adds complexity to complexity. Uh, one piece of complexity that I think is probably a positive though is that uh, they've been increasing the limits you can put into Roth IRAs and 401ks and things like that every year. And then there's this catch up, you get to a certain age and you can add to it. But for IRAs, it was kind of stuck, even though with 401ks, it was growing. What, what's that looking like now? Yeah. So for, for years, uh, well, early in the 2000s, like very close to the, the millennium chain, back at like Y2K time, close to that, <laughs> IRAs, finally had the ability to to create, have what are called catch-up contributions. So basically an extra amount if you're 50 or over by the end of the year. It was $500 when it was introduced. Then in 2006, that $500 amount, Congress increased it to $1,000. And it sat at that $1,000 mark for more than the last 15 years. Meanwhile, every other IRA or retirement account contribution limit, so SEP IRA limits, 401k deferrals, profit sharing, uh, the regular IRA contribution, all of these things were increasing each year as the cost of living changed. 
And the $1,000 limit for IRA catch-ups was not. So beginning uh, next year, we're going to see a increase in the IRA catch-up amount finally linked towards inflation. So people will be able to put more money away on a tax-preferred basis. Yeah, and that's a great thing. I think that's a good thing for us to highlight that you can actually put more money into your retirement accounts now with Secure Act 2.0 than you could before. It's not just everybody, it's the age 50 catch-up. And now you get that age 60 to 63. So I think the one like takeaway for everyone is just pay attention every year to what changes. Like your ability to add money in changes every year. Now it's not just every year, but it's also your age. And it's yeah. not just the age of 50, but now it's 60 to 63. I remember and I started as an advisor about 20 years ago. And it took me about five years to convince my dad that the 401k max was not 8%. Like, I don't know <laughs> if it was 8% like 35 years ago or his plan was 8% or he just heard that or that's just what he did. But it took me so long to convince him that it actually changes every year. So uh, please just have that takeaway. Everything changes and it especially changes every year and perhaps even by, by age now with all these different rules that are in there with the uh, Secure Act 2.0. Yeah, I mean, there's even rules now that change the amount you can put in going forward in future years, key to how many employees your company has. I mean, there's all sorts of, of, of nuances here where, you know, again, this is why I just encourage people, reach out to a professional, get your questions answered by someone who does this on a day-to-day -day basis, because I know I'm overwhelmed and this is all I do. I can't imagine not spending the amount of time and being able to keep up with anywhere close to what's going on. I mean, there, there's just an amazing volume of changes. Congress, as I always say, is really good at keeping inventory high for me when it comes to discussing new things. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, Jeff, I have one more question for you. Uh, before we get to that, tell us what's the best way for people to reach out to you. Yeah, well, I always say like, you know, social media is a pretty wonderful thing these days. People are welcome to go on Twitter. Uh, my handle there is at CPA Planner or reach out on LinkedIn. Uh, and they can certainly read articles that I write along with some others at kitsis.com. Again, that's K-I-T-C-E-S dot com. Yeah, we'll have links to all that. And of course, I'm going to put in specifically your summary, your 12,000 word summary in the show notes as well too. Good. Well, final question for you, Jeff. Please tell us something about yourself that few people know about. And remember, this podcast is rated clean. <laughs> uh, I would say, boy, um, there was a time in my life when I could dunk a basketball. There you go. Oh, so my goodness. Yeah. So but that, that time has long since passed. That's all right. I like that. I'm somebody that tried like crazy and I was able to touch the rim. That's about it. I could jump up and and touch the rim. So dunking it, that's, that's a accomplishment. Yeah. That was many years and even more pounds ago. So <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks Jeff for coming on, sharing your knowledge about sharing uh, the secure act 2.0 changes. Thanks so much again for having me. You got it. And thank you for listening to the retirement reveal podcast. We believe if you know more about your money, you will feel better about your money and you will make better money decisions. This was another great episode of the Retirement Revealed podcast. Click on the subscribe button below to automatically get our latest episodes. If you liked our show and want even more, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We would love to hear from you. 
please go to retirement-revealed.com to learn more and send us your questions and feedback. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Kyle Financial Partners, Thrivent, or its affiliates. The guests are not affiliated with or endorsed by Thrivent Advisor Network. Kyle Financial Partners does not provide legal accounting or tax advice. Consult your attorney or tax professional. Representatives have general knowledge of the Social Security tenants. For details on your situation, contact the Social Security Administration. Kyle Financial Partners is part of the Thrivent Advisor Network, a registered investment advisor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have with your investment planning.